suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But you yourself are lost or destroyed. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and his holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, please speak. You are good and so often we, we try to hang on to our life. We try to find meaning and purpose in places other than you. We, love, we believe the lie that there can be satisfaction outside of you. Oh Spirit, don't stop speaking gently to us, prompting us and guiding us. Don't stop speaking to me, don't stop speaking to any of us. Help us now to be attentive to what you say. Amen. Uh, let's read the reading that is actually for today. Galatians chapter 5. Now that I've gone and lost my place by going to Luke. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we were in here last week. We're going to actually carry on from where we stopped last week. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Uh, let's start from 13. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but if you're always biting and devouring each other, watch out, be, be, be aware of destroying one another. Or beware. So, oh, by the way, it was Haman who was hung. You know how things pop into your head? Haman was hung, Naaman was healed. Be a Naaman, not a Haman. (laughs) But let's get back to what Paul says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. If you've got a different translation, you might have the word flesh there. uh, Opposite of what the flesh wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. May the Lord bless you through this week. Amen. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, 
and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone worried? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. That's not surprising, is it? God is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit living in us. So the Spirit's fruit is our self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and have crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of another. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And I'll leave the rest of chapter 6 as as a joy for you to do later. Last week, um, we were looking at freedom from legalism. So we spent... Five weeks, this is week number six, looking at freedom from guilt and shame and worry and, and legalism last week. Last week we said that God has set us free, that we don't have to endlessly tick boxes to be good enough for God. But the question is raised, and in fact, uh, I, I had a conversation that was almost heading in this direction last week, going, well, what do we actually have to do? Isn't it just a a slippery slope to moral decline to say, stop ticking boxes? How do we we fight sin if we don't have to cross it out and go, right, I no longer swear. Right, Uh, what's the list here? I I no longer am sexually immoral. I am no longer an impure. I no longer have lustful pleasures. I no longer worship idols. I no longer... Commit sorcery. I no longer am hostile against you. And watch out if you say that I am. I no longer this. What, what do we do? How do we fight sin if we don't have to cross things off? How do we tell right from wrong? How do we know that God accepts us? Paul's answer here is that part of our freedom is that God lives in us by His Spirit. In fact, I think that is the answer. What Paul says here, I say, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Because then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If we want to live as free Christians, we have to let the Spirit of God guide our lives. Which is about trusting that God loves me, that that His way is best, that I don't need anything else, that Christ is enough for me. And the side effect of that is that we will be living lives that please God. I mean, how does God guide us by His Spirit? Uh, This is a whole sermon series on itself, just four suggestions here. 
uh, four common ways. He guides us by circumstances. If you find yourself a slave for Christ, writes Paul elsewhere, he says, you'd be the, the best gosh darn slave you can be for Jesus. If you're a master, you'd be the best master for Jesus. Whatever circumstances you're in, serve Christ there. Circumstances, God guides us by His Spirit. Other Christians are a means that God uses by His Spirit to guide us. They encourage us. They uh, direct us. They, we read, read at the end there, they even sort of help us overcome sin. They, they lead us out of that. They share knowledge from God. They share knowledge of God. They, ex- they share their experiences of God with us. That's what we have in the Bible, the shared experience of other Christians as they are led by the Spirit and live in the Spirit. The Spirit guides us by spiritual intuition. Now, intuition is not some mumbo-jumbo. Usually, you, you can intuit because you notice without noticing kind of thing. The better you know someone, the better you can... You just know what, what, what's happening. Um, how long have you been married now, Pam? 47 years. You know when your husband's not feeling well. He doesn't have to tell you. You just know it. And of course, the Spirit guides us through the Bible. The Spirit making God's character visible to us, pointing to Jesus. And and yes, the Spirit guides us in other ways as well. Dreams, prophecies, words of knowledge, all the gifts of the Spirit. There's, There's so many ways that the Spirit guides. Those are just the four common ones. But the point that Paul is making is that when we become Christians, Christ moves into us by His Spirit. Christ lives in us. And the Spirit longs for God's will to be done in me and in the world. But but, but so often we buy into the lies. I've said before that God's holding out on us. That we're missing out if we just follow God's promptings, if we just live the way that, that God's Spirit in us just says, hey, hey, Nick, what about this? You know, so often that still small voice. Does anyone else have that still small voice going, why don't you do this? Are you sure you want to do that? Oh, Nick, what have you done now? Oh, Nick, what an opportunity there. Sin is not trusting that God is good and that He has what is best in store for me. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Sorry, I'm aware of time for those of you that are worried about the roast. Uh, but we will, we will rush it. A little bit. Not much. Adam and Eve in the garden. What was their issue? The serpent came to them and said, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know good from evil. And, and that's where sin came in, where they where they believed that God was holding them back from having all the life that they could. Our cravings are evil, says Paul here, and they're evil because we put God's good gifts in God's place. We, we think that if we do this, if we experience that, if we, if, we, if we have this thing, then our life will be worthwhile, will be better. Now, Paul lived in an age where everybody, the, the Jewish and the, the Greeky, the Greeky Romans, they, they also wanted to fight against evil. They, the Jews, the rabbis taught that everyone has a, has a good impulse and, a, and an evil impulse battling it out in their hearts. And, and in particular, the rabbis had a big thing about the evil impulse uh, luring people into sexual sins and idolatry. And, and the rabbis said, the way 
so I can't do I can't do Rabbi Tor, but I'll try. The way to do this is to read the Torah, read the commandments, the five, the first five books, the Pentateuch. Read the Torah, the law of God, and repent to God, and you will be right. Get your fiddle on the roof. <laughs> and they said that in the age to come, studying. The Torah and repentance, eventually God would return and the evil impulse would be eradicated. This is what the Jewish people taught. This is, this is where Paul used to be before he met Jesus. And, and now that he's met Jesus, as he's writing to the Galatians, his view is similar but a little bit different. He says, yes, we've got a, a good nature and we've got an evil nature, but, but this good impulse isn't something that is native to us. It's not like we're born good and bad with a split personality. He says, no, the, the good impulse in us isn't so much about us, it's about God by His Spirit. God is perfect and holy and good, moving in and, and living within us. And, and he says, yes, there's going to come a day when Jesus returns and when He does the evil impulse in us is going to be eradicated and we're going to be made brand new. We're going to be made like Jesus with clean hearts, pure hearts. And he says, already in Jesus Christ, that new age has come. Have a look at verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The sinful self says, Paul, if we are Christians, is already dying on a cross and it's just waiting for the time when Jesus returns for it to actually... Cock it. You get some Christians who will say to you, Bless you, brother. You should know that when you become a Christian, you have no conflict within you. There is no internal civil war. You stop. Having any desire to do wrong. Experience shows. <laughs> and Paul says. Just the opposite. Life is a battlefield. With flesh and spirit. Opposing each other. And don't get me wrong. Non-Christians have internal moral conflict as well. There is something of the fact that we are made in God's image. That, that, we, that we just have this knowledge of there is a right and there's a wrong. I mean, we ate the fruit for goodness sake. We, we've got this internal conflict. But, but this conflict is worse if you're a Christian. Because God, who is perfectly holy, moves in and it's like He turns the amplifier up to 11. He gives us new desires. A desire to Realize how amazingly brilliant and beautiful God is. A desire to celebrate God, to worship Him, to honor Him, to praise Him, to please Him, to glorify Him, to know the vastness of His love for ourselves, to see others awed by how amazing Christ is. To see the kingdom come so much that we, we long to just see pre-echoes of it today already. The Spirit comes and fills us so that we want to see God in all of His beauty. And really to want to love God and others is a sign of the Spirit in us. To be aware of this battle between right and wrong, especially when 
I would never have thought that in the past. That is the spirit in us. Pointing us to Jesus. We call this uh, becoming more like Jesus today. Um, sanctification. One day we will be glorified. We will be made holy and pure like him. But now, uh, having been justified, set right with Jesus when we put our trust in him, now we are being sanctified. We are slowly being made holy. And maybe we, we can think of this as, you know, we have to be good. I know, I sometimes fall into the trap of going, I wish I was a good this. Or I wish I was a better pastor. Or I wish I was a better husband. Or I wish I was a better this. I don't know if you guys do that, ever. And we take this boulder and we push it up the hill of being good and perfect and pure. Because we're sanctifying ourselves. We're working at it. We want to be the way that God has said that we are. And we're going to put in all the effort we can to achieve that. That is not freedom. That's legalism. That's last week. That's wrong. That's proving ourselves. Being made holy isn't about pushing ourselves until we reach the pinnacle of being like God. Being made holy is not pushing a boulder uphill. It's more like standing on the hill and having the boulder all over us. Reshaping us as it does so to be like Jesus. The problem is, says Paul, we still have our old character. We still have our old sinful self with our old sinful inclinations that doesn't want to change. That's quite happy. That, that, that has this idea that, well, this gives me joy. This gives me purpose. This gives me meaning. I don't, I, I don't want to change in this part of my life. I won't let God guide me. I won't let God direct me. Because if I do, I'm going to miss out. I don't trust that God knows what's best for me. And so we end up on this hill where God's trying to just roll His, His grace down upon us and we push back. You see, legalism is saying, I can push my way to the top. But there's an equal problem where you're not free when you just go, I've just, I'm just holding it here while I'm, while I'm busy here. When I'm ready, I'll let go and God can sort of do His work with me. But right now, I'm just holding it up here. I don't have to get better. I don't have to get worse. I'm happy where I am. <clears throat> Says Paul, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. It's not about pushing uphill, verse 18 there. It's about not... Resisting the Spirit, wanting to move us where He is going. Freedom is about trusting God. Verse 19 and 21, 19, 20, 21, Paul tells us about when we follow the desires of our sinful natures, the results are very clear. He's describing a life of, of uh, to survive or thrive or have a good life, I must do this. Uh, sexual sins uh, spring from a desire. Because he says here, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the works, the results are clear. 
What are the desires here? The desires behind sexual sins. I mean, this is just some thinking. The, the desires we have are, are huge, but maybe they spring from a desire to get as much joy as we can now. We, we think maybe life is hard, that, that we don't believe that eternity with God can be as good as life now. Spiritual sins, sorcery, uh, witchcraft. Um, what was the other one there? Uh, idolatry. Well, it's about desiring to have control of my world and my future, not trusting that God loves me and that, that God can work everything out for good. No, I, I have to organize everything and have it under control. Social sins, and, and Paul's got a whole long list of social sins. It's about wanting to be number one, about not trusting God that he loves me as much as others, not, not trusting that God is just or faithful, or good, and so I have to stand up for myself, because God's not going to stand up for me, I don't, I don't really trust, I don't really trust that He loves me, I don't really, I, I, I'm not secure in myself, I, I need to, I need to, ha, ha. Lifestyle sins, again, wanting to enjoy life to the max now, life's hard, this might be all I get, let's eat and drink and be merry, because tomorrow we die, and I don't really trust God when He says that there's any more. You know, to resist the Spirit's leading is to believe God to be a spoil sport. To believe that I'll miss out in life. And Paul says in verse 21 that anyone living that sort of life won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, could you all put your hands up for me? Uh, uh, now, put your hand down if there is nothing in that list that resonates with your life. If you want, you can put your other hand up as well. <laughs> you know, doing wrong doesn't prove that we aren't saved. Everyone sins. In fact, Paul's point here is that the battle rages on and that, and that we don't do what we want to do. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 7. What does he mean here when he says... Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the, the words and the verbs there has got this idea of continually, habitually resisting God's spirit. Paul says, if you have accepted Christ and, and God is in you going, Hey Nick, I want this for you, I want this for you. And, and my set stance in life is pushing up against that going, No, I don't trust you. Actually, I think... I'm going to have to go here because uh, uh, that seems to work for me. I don't really trust you, God. You know what the sad thing is? If we don't trust God, we won't be with God. Now, yes, sometimes in the moment we don't trust God and in the moment we desire something more than God. That's not what it is. If, if you fall, He picks you up. That's That's wonderful. What Paul's talking about here is going, I'm not going to just hold the boulder up. I'm going to build a wedge and I'm going to stick it under there because just shut up, God. I don't believe you. My lifestyle is going to be over here, not with you. I think Paul's speaking there of grieving the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, if you're worried that you've done that, you haven't done it because the Spirit is prompting you to not grieve him. Which means he's still speaking to you, which is a really good thing. <laughs> the opposite of fighting against the Spirit isn't fighting for the Spirit. The opposite of fighting against the Spirit 
which is what we do when we resist Him. We're fighting against Him. The opposite is surrendering. You don't have to prove that I'm good enough for God to accept me. He accepted me while we were still sinners. Christ died for the, for the unrighteous. It's not about forcing ourselves to be good. It's about surrendering to Jesus. You know what? It is easy to make fake fruit. You can buy them in the shops. Beautiful apple, beautiful pear. But they're not very nutritious and they taste awful. Jesus speaks here about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's possible to fake a lot of this stuff. But it doesn't taste very nice. Especially when it comes out that I'm just being kind to you because I have to. Well, God says I have to be nice to you. God says I must love you, so I'm going to love you. So, okay, I'm loving you, right? Nice. Okay, move on. And you look at me and go, well, what is, what a dropkick. Fake fruit doesn't taste nice. God doesn't force his will on us. He, he wants us to let the Spirit guide us, which is a choice, a willful choice. It's about trusting that God loves us, that he really is all that we need. And when the fruit of the Spirit appears, it's, it's not the result of our fighting. It's the result of, well, it's, it's His fruit. Which brings me to the really weird picture. Have you guys been sitting there going, what on earth is on the background tonight? Tonight, this morning. It's a picture of <coughs> mushrooms growing in sawdust. Thanks, Wayne. It's pea straw. When the fruit of the Spirit appears, it's His fruit growing in us. But it's also truly the fruit, uh, it's truly a part of who we are becoming. So if you look at the mushrooms, this stuff at the bottom here is mycelium. Um, that's the, the, the actual mushroom, I know it's not a plant, but for want of a better word, plant growing there. Well, it's not a spore at the moment. It's, it's the mycelium. And the stuff at the top, what we eat, the mushrooms, is the fruiting body. So let's call that the fruit. Um, the mycelium grows and it produces the fruit. But the really interesting thing is the mushroom fruit at the top is the fruit of the mycelium, but it's made out of the stuff that the mycelium is in. Not quite the same because the Holy Spirit doesn't sort of chew us up and spit us out. But he lives in us. And it's His fruit that grows. But the fruit of the Spirit that appears in our life appears out of us. But if the Spirit wasn't in us, there would be no fruit. There would be no fruit. The fruit is the result of a relationship with God. It's the Spirit at work within us. And of course there's no law against this because this is God. Bet you never woke up this morning thinking, right, he's going to point at the board and point to some mushrooms and go, this is God. But this is like God in us. So what do I actually have to do, Nick? Let's, let's bring this thing home. Um, what do I have to do? Okay, I want to do something. You want to do something, just trust that God loves you as you are right now. 
and realize, verse 24, that if we belong to Jesus, we have crucified our old self. Trust Jesus. Because when we trust him, well, when we first trusted him, we turned from our old life. We, we took up our cross and we followed him. And, and we read what Jesus said earlier. Sometimes we have to do it. Not sometimes. Every day we have to do this. Go back and all the bits that have flaked off in the wind, we put back on the cross. See, Paul takes Jesus' idea there a bit, a bit further. Jesus says, daily take up your cross and follow me. And Paul says, yeah, take up the cross, but make sure the execution actually happens. Yes, the execution can be painful. Um, our world and our old self yells out that we are missing out if we listen to God. If we don't fight against God, then we're missing out. And yes, executions, especially crucifixions, can take a long time. But the thing about a, a crucifixion is that it, though it takes a long time, in the end, the person's dead. To trust Jesus is to pin our old self onto the cross. And to let the Spirit guide us is to leave it there. Paul's writing to Christians, verse 25, who are living according to the Spirit. He's encouraging them and us to allow God to lead us in every part of our lives. And so when, when we have some proud or jealous or malicious or lustful or impure thought invade our minds, in some ways the fact that we are aware of that, or we're aware of the fight, is a good sign because it shows that the Spirit is prompting us. The moment you stop being worried about anything is the moment that, well, you know, worry in the right sense, is the moment when you should be worried. And when you are aware of that, when you're aware of the Spirit prompting you, choose to listen. Don't, again, give weight to that thought as a good option. Trust that God isn't out to make you miserable and to defraud you. Maybe even say to God something like, Lord, I've been looking for meaning and purpose and security over here. I feel the temptation. I've, I've looked there in the past. And I've decided that, that you are enough for me. And right now there's a battle going on in me trying to convince me that you don't want what's best for me. But... But I trust you, and I'm not going to fight you on this. See, God does want what's best for us. Not just best and bland, but best. How did Jesus live in absolute freedom? Let's finish here. Jesus surrendered. Not what I want, Father, but what you want. We are most free when we surrender to God. What, what about all the other things, good things? What about Bible reading and doing your devotions daily, regularly? What about going to church? What about the gifts of the Spirit? Surely we have to know what to do, Nick. Don't do stuff just because you think you have to. It doesn't impress God, and to be honest, it tastes horrible. It's fake fruit. If, if we're letting the Spirit guide us, He'll be prompting us what to do. He'll, he'll be prompting us to want that sort of stuff. And if you find yourself wanting something more than, 
and God, then say to God, God, I'm struggling. I, 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 I believe in my head that you're enough for me, but, but in my practice I, I, I seem to think otherwise. Help me, please. And then surrender. You know, freedom isn't freedom if we have to always fight to maintain it. Last week, stop fighting to be good. It means nothing. God's already said you are fully justified in Christ Jesus. This week, says Paul, don't just fight to be good. Stop fighting against God. Don't fight to be bad. And even when we say yes to the Spirit, can we say no to ourselves? Because when we say yes to God, we are saying, I trust that your way is best. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. We're going to sing a song, but we're going to sing, uh, I think, just one verse of O for a thousand tongues to sing. We're going to sing verse 3. Of O for a thousand tongues to sing. Um, he breaks. Set the prisoner free. He 